This is um, a series we've been involved in on vision, mission, and our values as a church. And this is our mission weekend. And last week when Brian spoke, and I just really appreciated his words on the mission, this week again I want to speak on our mission, which falls right in line with uh, the stories that you heard. And I'm going to ask you to say our vision statement, which will be up on the screen, together with me to help all people take their next step in knowing and following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we'd ask that you would take all the things that we're doing and that you would use them. And and the things we do, Lord, whether it be sharing gifts of food through meals or it's uh, helping with interfaith here, uh, hospitality center, Peru, Poland, Mongolia, all the places we are, our desire is that in the name of Jesus, by the love of Jesus, you would touch hearts, that they would know that it's not just a meal, it's not something just physical, but that, God, we believe that there is a, that you are alive and want to be related to every person you have created. And so, God, that's our deep desire, is to help people know and help them follow this love that you revealed through our Son, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, mission statements are interesting. There's one that was probably familiar to all of you, a company named Enron. Its mission statement noted that the company prided itself on four key values, respect, integrity, communication, and excellence. And they stated also within their values that all business dealings at Enron were to be open and fair. And it's obvious this once seventh largest U.S. company wasn't living its own mission statement. And a person who's writing an article on this says, now the question is, are you living yours? He says, I suspect the majority of mission statements don't reflect reality, and I think it's apparent by the response often of employees. Mission statements are often seen as creative writing exercises. And management forgets about them once the ink is dry. It's no wonder they become a joke to employees. But mission statements, he says, are one of the best tools for holding your company or your organization accountable and focused. I say that by saying we really believe in what we're saying here is the focus of what we are about as a a church body. It's more than what we do on Sunday morning. It's more than what we do in weekday programs. It's more than what we do in anything that we might be involved in. Undergirding everything we do is this simple truth, and that is that we want to be people who help one another take whatever step it is in your own personal life and in the life of someone, whoever that may be, that the Holy Spirit is guiding you to, to make whatever step they need to make whether it's to know Jesus for the first time or to follow him and to grow deep in him. And it's many steps down the road. I want to read to you Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus enters Jericho. He's passing through. Verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. And because of the crowd... So he ran ahead and climbed to a sycamore tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, he was just hoping he'd get a glimpse of him. Verse 3. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man is a son of Abraham. And now catch this, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It tells you why Jesus came. It's very simple. It's, it's his mission. In fact, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, is a summary of the entire message of the Gospel of Luke. On a number of occasions, as you go through this Gospel, you'll see that Luke kind of reiterates this. If you look at Luke 15 and the lost coin, and the, the lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. Because Jesus was missional. He came to seek and to save what was lost. He had a mission that kept him focused and accountable with regard to his life and his time in ministry. He closes his gospel in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. He says, as he's walking with some disciples at the end of his, his um, life here on earth, he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to, catch this, send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So he ends with them waiting. He said, I want you to wait. I'm, I'm going to send you out as witnesses, but you need to wait. And so before he sends them out, he asks them to wait. They wait, and then you read in, in Acts, which is written by Luke as well. So the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, he continues it, and he says in verse 1 of Acts 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction to the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. An apostle means sent one. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father who has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I believe God has a mission for us. And I believe that God, and this, this may sound radical, but I believe God through these past few years has been training us. For the years He's been training us, I believe, for something He wants to do through this ministry. And I, I believe He's been leading us. Um, and, and I kind of, as a pastor with the elders, are kind of just standing back and watching what God is doing. As we see this value of impact in our world and this mission to help people take their next step to know and to follow Jesus, it's just getting momentum. And it's happening through you. And one of the reasons why we as a church... Um, take every Wednesday, so this next Wednesday we'll do this again, the first Wednesday of every month, we set aside at 6 a.m. for those who are hardy and can get up, and 12 noon for those who are willing to step out and, and grab an hour, or 6 p.m. We meet to pray at the beginning of every month, fasting and praying, or if you just want to pray, 
whether you join us here or you're wherever you're at, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us with such power that he would do the things that we cannot do in our own strength. I stand here before you, I am so totally convinced that we cannot do the things that we in our hearts want to do unless God, by His Holy Spirit, empowers us by His Holy Spirit to do these things that we could never think of in one sense or dream of that He can make happen. So He tells the church, I want you to wait. I want you to wait until the Spirit comes upon you in such a way and as you go out, then you will do the things you could never imagine doing. And so I'm just going to very practically, if you're, you know, people who say, give me something practical to do. Very practically, the first Wednesday of every month, 6 noon and 6, we are praying as a church saying, God, would you do through us something we could never do in our own strength? Because we're a church on mission. And that mission is to help all people take their next step so that they might know Jesus personally and know this incredible love that will transform their life. And that as they begin to follow him, their lives will be transformed. And they'll do just as we heard, as Fawn had said, and Ariona had said, Arona had said. And that is, they will see in the lives of others, Jesus, and experience his love so that they can take a step. Well, Luke 19.10 is Jesus' mission. But I want to share with you, in just these few moments, how Jesus did this mission. He was missional. He sent his disciples out as mission-oriented people. He Then the early church, if you read Acts, is all about mission, and we ourselves are about a mission. So how do we do it? How did Jesus do it? If you look again at, at Luke 19, 1 through 10, as we go through this, I'm just going to point out two things. Two things about Jesus and how he carried out his mission and how he trained his disciples as they watched him work among people He wanted them to see, I think, two basic things. And they're in this text. Jesus looked and Jesus loved. Real simple things. Not real difficult. It says in verse 1 that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho is this incredible city. It was a city that would uh, would be upon the route that you would take either from Mesopotamia or Assyria, which is north of, of this country, Israel. And you would you would take this route and you would go through Jericho, then through Jerusalem and all the way down to Egypt. It was a very it was kind of a vacation resort area. I had the opportunity to study over in Israel when I was in college. I was in I lived in the old city for six weeks of, of Jerusalem. It was incredible. We would take field trips out. And one of our field trips was to the northern part of Judah, which is north of Jerusalem. And we went up there. And when you think of desert, it's not really desert. It's barren and rocky. And we went through this place, and it was dry, hot. It was in the summer, barren and rocky. And I remember on this bus, sweating, as we made a turn around the corner. And when we made the turn around the corner, we saw down below us this beautiful, green, lush city called Jericho. Because of the oasis that was there. It was probably a vacation city. It was a place for some of the very wealthy would live there. And so there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, verse 2, and he was a chief tax collector. He was the head tax collector for the area. And he was wealthy. In Jesus' day, the Romans who ruled over Israel, they farmed out the, taxing, the tax collecting. And they would, they would farm it out to the highest bidder. So someone like 
A guy like Zacchaeus had enough money to become the highest bidder. And then when that person would get that, they, they, Rome didn't tell them, you know, you collect this much. Rome would say, here's, here's a certain allotment that we want, but you can do whatever you want. So they would collect as much as they could. They would often steal and, and misrepresent things in order to, to pocket a whole lot of change themselves. And so not only were they, they, they collecting money for the foreign power who invaded them, those, those pagan but they were also cheating their own people. And that's why in verse 8, when Zacchaeus chooses to repay those he cheated, four times he says, what I stole. Um, in, in your version of the Bible, it may say, if, but you could really translate it, since I cheated, I will pay back four times, is what Zacchaeus says. You see, the law in Leviticus 6, 5 and Numbers 5, 7 required to restore principal plus 20%. But if you had cheated, Exodus 22, 1 says there's a much more severe penalty for a person who steals. If you have stolen from someone, it wasn't just the principal and 20%. It was actually four times the amount. So, so there's a, a frank admission on Zacchaeus' part that, hey, I'm a pretty rotten guy. I have stolen from my own people. I'm a traitor. I betrayed you. But I'm going to give back four times according to what I know the law says. So Zacchaeus, a crook, a traitor, considered and looked upon not just by the Pharisees and the scribes as a pagan. But if you read here in Scripture, verse 7 says, But all the people saw him as one who was definitely not the son of Abraham. Note verse 7. Normally it only says, in fact, throughout Luke, you'll find a number of times where it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were muttering, they were complaining, under their breath they were saying, I can't believe this guy Jesus would hang around with these sinners, these prostitutes, these, these people who just shouldn't be even near someone holy. You'll get stained if you touch someone like that. He says in verse 7, all the people saw Zacchaeus this way, and they began to mutter. And they couldn't believe that this rabbi, this man of God, he claimed to be a man, not only a man of God, the son of God, possibly the Messiah, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And you can just sense how they felt. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, and being a short man, Zacchaeus couldn't. So because of the crowd, it says that he ran ahead, he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Sycamore fig trees are large trees with branches that grow low to the ground, so even children can climb up. But even we little men, like Zacchaeus, can get up that tree. So verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, listen to this, he looked. He looked up. He saw Zacchaeus. How easy it would have been for him just to keep walking on by. But Jesus looked up. What did everyone else see? You see, you've got to remember, his mission is guiding him right now. What did everyone else see? They saw a sinner, a tax collector, a cheat, a thief, a traitor, a short little guy with a Napoleon complex, Right? The kind of guy you love to hate. He wants to feel powerful, so he'll do whatever it takes to be powerful, whether it means isolating himself from everyone else. The kind of person that when you look at that person, they disgust you. Whatever, you see the externals. You never see the person. But what did Jesus see? 
See, again, his mission seems to be guiding him to seek and to save those who are lost. When your mission is keeping you accountable and focused, it helps you see the things you might not normally see or you don't want to see. And what did Jesus see? He saw a man. He saw his heart. He saw a great need. He saw a guy who must have had some interest in God because he, he runs ahead, climbs up a sycamore tree in order to see this rabbi that he's heard about who actually loves people like him. Maybe, he's thinking, just maybe he might even like me. And it says in Scripture, when Jesus reached the spot, when he reached the spot, he didn't look up with contempt, he didn't look up with disgust, he didn't look up with a a desire to humiliate this little guy sitting in a tree who had all this power and all this money and was far from God from the eyes of everybody else. But in his eyes, he saw a man with a great need whom God had created. He looked past all the stuff, all the sin, and all the things that usually keep us from seeing people as they really are. Because Jesus saw a wounded heart. Have you ever seen, had someone who, who sees you, who really knows you, who really gets your heart, who really comes around you and they believe in you? They actually in many ways see you with a sense of wonder and amazement and, and love that, that only God can. That's the gaze that Zacchaeus felt. John Ortberg writes in his book, Love Beyond Reason, every human being you ever see was made in the image of God. And Jesus says that if we want, he will come and make his home in us. So we're never to look at another person without having a sense of awe and reverence that says, this one in whom God made, may dwell. This person, as rotten as they look, has the capacity to be the house for our God. No matter how worthless, how rotten you feel, how beat up, broken, and bruised you may be, God loves you. That's what Jesus saw when he looked up and saw Zacchaeus. And I just ask you, with regards to the mission that guides us to help all people take their next step to know and follow Jesus. Is there a Zacchaeus who is near you? Do you see him? Are your eyes open to say, God, here is someone that I am to look beyond and into and see in their heart whom you've made? Then Jesus loved. Because Jesus truly saw Zacchaeus as the Father sees every person he has created. Jesus was able to love Zacchaeus. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and then he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. What a huge statement for him to make. In making that, he knew all the people would be muttering. Can you imagine how often we fail to do the things we know we should do that we know is right because we're afraid that other people are going to judge us? When Jesus walked, he didn't care because he was guided by something far greater than your opinion or my opinion of anyone. He was guided by the opinion of his father in heaven who said, you know, what really matters right now is that I have come on a mission to seek and to save all those who are lost. So right now I see Zacchaeus and I'm saying to you, Zacchaeus, as I look at you with love, because he could have just stopped and looked at him with love. He didn't. He said, I want to stay with you. In fact, I want to be a friend of yours. I want to get to know you. What the people saw when they saw Zacchaeus was contempt and anger and hatred. But Jesus, how did he feel? I think he felt intrigued, curious, compassionate, caring. 
He basically says, hey, Zach, come on down. Friend to friend, let's have dinner. I want to spend some time with you. There are two things Jesus did. He looked and he loved. And when he loved, he did this. He reached in at the felt need level in order to reach a deeper need, the real need. And that's the way it works. That's how this mission works. Jesus saw a felt need. He reached it. He touched it. And as a result of being able to touch that, built a platform so that he could reach into the real need. You think about it for a second. What did Zacharias need? How do you think this undersized man with an oversized ego really felt? He wanted to be significant. He wanted to be noticed. He wanted some power. Just imagine all your life having people sing a song like Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Not a great legacy. The felt need was that Zacchaeus wanted to be significant. He wanted to be noticed. He wanted to be accepted. He wanted this sense of people seeing him as he is. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that in order that he could reach a far greater need. That was not just that he could feel significant, that he would know his significance by the love of God. Why do we pack foods? I pray that every food that we pack here, we pack and we say it is not just a physical meal, but in the name of Jesus, by his love, as they take this, they would also know the spiritual food that comes in Christ. People have asked, what about this impact our world and the things we do here locally, globally, and globally? The reason we do this is all in the name of love that comes through Jesus Christ in order that this person would have the felt need met so that we, through that felt need, can reach to the real need, which is the real need is a heart that needs Jesus Christ fully. And so Jesus steps forward and does that. He notices him. Zach and Arias feels valued and significant, and his heart is actually changed. And then the last thing I just want to show you, Jesus spent time with them. If you're going to see a heart change, and we get this kind of itch for the instant, this kind of quick, everything changes immediately. But the reality is that in Zacchaeus' case, because of who Jesus was as a rabbi, I believe because of God working through that, Jesus was able to see a person who is like a fruit on a tree ready to be picked in a sense. But you know what? The reality is for us. If God has placed a Zacchaeus around you that you need to begin to open your eyes to see, it will mean this, that you will have to know who this person is. Walk with them long enough to know what that surface felt need is so that in time, and it's not you're not making a friend just so you can get to that need. You're making a friend because it's the right thing to do. If they feel like you're trying to get to something else, they're going to smell it like that. There's enough people in the world that are, that are building friendships to get somewhere. You need to build a friendship, love them for who they are, so that as they experience that love, it will reach into their hearts, but it will take time. It means spending time. Jesus said, can I spend the night at your home? My guess is he may have spent even a couple nights there. I don't know. But I got a feeling that the apostles were pretty excited about going to that home because they probably had a pool and, you know, sitting around and... It was probably a good thing. And as a result, his heart has changed. And Jesus is able to say, salvation has come to this house. Not only has this person felt significant, but he is now related to the God of this universe. And guess what? He has the faith of the same like Abraham. And he says that as an indictment on the others who are standing out there judging Because if they had the same faith as Abraham, they would have the same heart as Jesus. There's a statement uh, that therapists or treatment centers often say, hurt people, hurt people, wounded people, wound people. 
Critical people criticize people. You go on, condemned people condemn people. But the opposite is true. When you read God's word, love people, love people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Help people, help people. Our prayer is that this mission that we have talked about, which I want us to say again, this mission that leads us to help get close to people to take their next step. I'm going to ask if you put that up there, and I'm going to ask you to say this together with me. We, the community of believers at Wyzetta Free Church, are on a church on a mission. Our mission is to help all people take their next step in knowing and following Jesus. And let me add, no matter what the cost. Because Jesus gave his life. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to give our life and say, how do you want my life to be ordered by this mission? How does he want our church to be ordered by this mission? I, I just want to say I am so proud um, in a year of incredible financial difficulty, the many ways that you have responded generously to help people take their next step. I believe God will reward that. So I just call us to stay on mission. This is what it's about. If anyone asks, what's your pastor believe in? Bringing people step by step into a relationship with Jesus and getting to know Jesus so well that they become formed to the character of Christ. That we become loving people. Let's stand for prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and your kindness and your goodness. We pray that you would take all these stories, what your word has said, and God, fulfill your mission in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.